Good morning, gentlemen, on this beautiful day. So we're going to learn some complicated stuff. It's not really, it's complicated. It's also, it's a little bit abstract, because a lot of these laws don't apply today. But some of these laws are extremely applicable today. So let me explain. We know that in the Torah you have the laws of Tuma and Tara, which means ritual impurity and purity. All the laws of purity that exist in the Torah are not rational laws. They're not laws that are based on comprehension. They're not things that we can explain logically. These are all in the category of chukim, in the category of laws that were commanded by Hashem. Because so has God demanded, and so, as it says, a decree I have decreed, a rule I have ruled. You know, and you got to follow it. You don't have permission to think about it. So, there's no logical explanation why someone's Tommy or not. Of course, there's many ways of explaining it after the fact, connected to this of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and that's why we have the ritual impurities we have today, how we atone for it. But the point is, the Torah tells us that there's four categories, there's, there's two main categories here, you know, let's say three, of different kinds of, four really, of ritual impurity a person can have. Two for a male, two for a female. The most easier to deal with, I'm not going to order the Torah right now, is a man that has a seminal emission. A man has a seminal emission, which is a natural, normal uh, part of human behavior. He becomes tamay, ritually impure, until he goes to the mikvah. There's no need for sacrifices. This does not convey his tumah to anybody else. There's a ritual purity of, of having given forth semen, which is one of the reasons why Hasidim have the custom to go to the mikvah, to Ezra, I'm not going to go there. Then you have a zav. A zav is a male that had a non-seminal emission from his reproductive organs. So this is it's a watery, or it could be not watery, it's white. It has an appearance of like an egg that didn't hatch. So I'm not exactly sure what that looks like exactly. Point is, he has a flow coming out of his body from, it's not anybody knows, it's from the part of his body where he reproduces, but it's not a seminal emission. It didn't come from being hard, from an erection, it didn't come from you know, intercourse. It's non-seminal, and this is a result of some kind of illness, some kind of sickness. So in this case, we're going to learn that there's different categories, depending on how much, uh, how many times, or how many days he saw this discharge, the level of ritual impurity that he carries, and how he has to be purified from that impurity. I'll get to that in, in two minutes. But just to give clarity. Then you have for a woman. For a woman, you have the same two categories, but they're obviously very different. You have a woman that has her natural, normal discharge, which is not white, it's not seminal, it's blood. It's red. The measure says, so even though it's on cycle, it's called, a, it's called a nida. Nida means that she has a regular menstrual period where she's now discharging blood from her reproductive organs, from her uh, womb that's coming out where she w- would have had her, you know, her period, basically. So that makes her what's called anida with one set of laws. And then there's another set of laws for a woman that's called a zava. We're going to get to that tomorrow, God willing. A zava is the same word as zav, but in feminine language, it means to flow. Ziv is flowing. So when a woman has a flowing from her reproductive, from her womb, from her vagina, but not as part of her cycle, it's not part of her regular period, that has a different set of laws, which needs to wait from when the blood finishes, seven days of purity, etc. Those are the laws of a zava. Okay? So you have four categories. A man has a regular discharge, 
and the woman has a regular discharge. Or it's not a discharge, it's a regular, you know, a period. Uh, for a man, that would be called, with his own name for a man. For that, for a woman, it's a nita. Then you have for a man, when he has a discharge, it's not healthy. It's not, nor, it's not a natural or a normal seminal discharge, called azav. And for a woman, that's called azava. Okay? God willing, tomorrow we'll talk about the laws of the nida and the zava. I'm just going to give you the whole picture. What all of them need to do, though, some of them, Azov and Azava, need to bring sacrifices, bird, two birds, one is a sin offering, one is a scent offering, an Ola offering, at the end of seven days, and on the eighth day they are purified. The laws, will be so, the, the laws of the purification will be the same. The laws will be the same, but obviously it's a different mitzvah because it's a whole different process. One is seeing non-seminal emissions, one is seeing blood, but not as part of the regular cycle. Two very different things, and they're both re- re- reflective of an illness, or something that's if something is physically wrong in the body, that's a reflection of something being spiritually wrong as well. It needs to be fixed and God has sent them a message to purify themselves. In all cases, they need to go to the mikvah. So let's talk about the mikvah for a minute, just to explain very briefly, without getting too distracted because it's in the, the Torah reading. The mikvah also is a decree that's a gzeras hakasav, it's a decree of Hashem. It's not a logical, rational decree. So even though, yes, it's true that we understand how it makes sense that a woman or a man should go to a bath and purify themselves, and yes, it's true that during the times of the Black Ages, when germs were rampant and people got diseases and these epidemics spread and killed millions of people because they didn't have basic laws of hygiene and washing your hands and you know, cleanliness, etc., they didn't, they, weren't, they didn't know about it. And the Jewish community, Baruch Hashem, suffered less. We also suffered in the Black Plague and all that. We also died, but not to the same extent. It took longer because, A, we washed our hands for bread, but also we were washed out of our bodies. Now today, we think like washing your body is a fairly normal human behavior. All healthy human beings take showers and wash their bodies, but in more ancient times of history, washing your body was not something done on any kind of regular basis. There was no bathtubs or showers. We went to the river, they washed them. You know, it wasn't like a the idea of immersing your entire body in a mikvah is, in those days, was like a strange idea almost. Now, again, there's many explanations. We understand that when you go into a mikvah, especially since the law is that a kosher mikvah requires at least 40 sa'ah of water. 40 sa'ah is a measurement, uh, sa'ah is a certain cubic measurement. So the minimum measurement of a kosher mikvah is 40 sa'ah which reminds us of the conception and the birth of a child. We're told that until 40 days, the baby that was conceived, <coughs> like water, it's not yet actually formed. So going into the mikvah, and you know, there's many, many ideas, and we talk for hours in classes about the woman and the mikvah. When the woman goes to the mikvah, even the man too, you come out like a baby coming out of the, the, uh, the uh, embryonic fluids, like a baby coming out of the womb, pure, fresh, a brand new, a uh, pure child, you come out of the mikvah, you come out brand new, pure. That's why the, the flood of the rainwater, when God purified the world of the flood, was 40 days and 40 nights, like a mikvah. So the idea that water can cleanse you is basic science. You don't need, you don't need to be a scientist to know that water cleans, right? You see it. And the idea that water should spiritually cleanse you as well, that, that makes sense. Water is a purifying agent, you go into the water, you come out feeling refreshed, you feel invigorated and clean. So there's a lot of logical laws. However, even though you can explain it, the core idea of mikvah is totally transcending of any logic. And that's why there's many laws of the mikvah. 
that are not logical. So for example, the mikvah has to be a certain measurement. Every part of your body has to be completely immersed in the mikvah at the same time. If even one hair is sticking out of the water, it's not a kosher mikvah. If you're wearing a band-aid, for example, or if you're wearing even a nail polish, that's a, a acrylic nail polish on your nails, except all these kinds of things, that stops the mikvah from purifying you. A woman before she goes to mikvah, to do it probably with a pure cleanse their body, wash their body, make sure there's no chatzitza, nothing separating. Now, if it was just a shower or a bath, so the fact that you have a acrylic nail polish on shouldn't stop your, the mikvah from purifying you. But it's, it's, a, it's a decree of the Torah. The kind of water, yes. How do you know if like, your pool is good to use as a mikvah? Your pool is not good to use as a mikvah. Oh. Without a question, it's not good. So there's many... So, Again, I'm not going to do a whole class, I just want to spend like two minutes. There's many laws how a mikvah has to be built in order for it to be a body either of mayim chayim, of living water, or of a natural body of gathered water. The word mikvah, just so you know, the word mikvah means gathered. That's what the word means, gathered water. So if, if you bring water to a mikvah, it's no longer a kosher mikvah. So any place, any body of water that has piping, that's bringing in the water, it's not kosher. It's already... It's a, the, the word is mayim shu'uvin. It's drawn water. It's not natural water. Now, yeah, technically, the, the, the cleansing of your body is the same if it's mayim shu'uvin, if it's drawn water that was, you know, through piping, was brought to this body, of, to this pool, or that you came with buckets and you made, a, you dug a hole in the ground and you filled it with water. It's the same water. It should purify you the same. And yet, it doesn't. It has to be a natural body of water, natural mayim chayim. Yes. Absolutely not. It doesn't have any value. No offense, but the, 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 even though men go, even though, even though I go to the mikvah in my pool sometimes, and a man can go to a mikvah in the pool, that's because the man is not obligated by halacha to go to the mikvah. So the whole idea of going to the mikvah is for a man, except for the exception of Arab Yom Kippur. But with that exception, a man is not obligated to go to the mikvah. So, therefore, he, uh, he, uh, it's only a custom of extra ritual purity, so you can use this. In those cases, there's, Mayim Shuvin could work, because you're only doing out of extra purity. But if you, a woman that has to go to the mikvah, a pool has, is nothing. A pool doesn't do anything. It has to be, the ocean. The ocean, you can. So it has to be either natural, a natural body of water, Mayim Chayim. There are certain issues with oceans that if the water is, is, doesn't stay there, it's not gathered, the water is flowing, but there's, there's, there's technical issues with some oceans. I was not a halacha class, there's definitely some issues with some oceans if, it's, if the water doesn't stay there. I don't remember all the issues. I don't remember all the halachas of the ocean per se, but yes, generally speaking, an ocean is a kosher mikvah, generally speaking. Okay? There are some issues with it. I don't remember, but generally speaking, yes. A mikvah is, a natu- is, is, is kosher. Many canals, though, may not be. Have a great day. Depends if they're man-made. It depends how the water in them is stagnant water, if it's flowing water, where it's coming from, etc. So, if water... Again, it's very complicated. There's, there's a lot of halachas. About the, if it's rainwater, it has to be naturally there. If rainwater is being moved, once it's being moved or being pumped, it's not kosher anymore. I should just say, clarify. When we go to the mikvah today, you go to you know, the mikvah, a professional mikvah, Chabad Kosovo has a mikvah. You're going into a body of filtered water with filters and pumping, piping, and all that. But that body of water is touching, and there's an opening to that, to a pit of 
but collected rainwater that was not brought there. Natural water that came from the roof. They, 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 when they built the building, they built it to have that the whole roof should have a slope with an opening in the roof that goes directly into where the mikvah is. So the rainwater falls, it comes directly there. When they pour that drain, it's on the roof, it's on the side of the building actually, that drain is it's all poured in one time. If you pour this event in different stages, then they're called like different vessels. Has to be one flow, one direct, you know. Cost over a million dollars in Hallandale. Well, that's they made a high handicap, but they made a very high end. They did a very high end. Yeah, they did a handicapped, accessible, and all that. But, but in general, yeah. How do we know that, you know, on these mikvahs, like the one from Bad or whatever, you've got to add chemicals, right? The chlorine and all this. Yeah. Why doesn't that invalidate the mikvah? Only so, so I'm going to explain. So that's what I'm saying right now. When you go into the mikvah in Chabad Coral Springs, or any mikvah, go to Hal, any mikvah you go to, you're not going into the actual halachic mikvah of gathered rainwater. That water will probably be disgusting. You know, it's, that's not the water you're going into. You're going into clean, chemically you know, filtered water. However, let's just say in Chabad Coral Springs, there's, a, there's a, under the stairs or wherever, different mikvahs are on the side of the mikvah, on the bottom of the mikvah, there's many laws where it is. There's another, it's called a bar, another pit of natural rainwater that's collected. They don't fill the body of filtered water until this pit is 100% filled, checked by a rabbi, it's all natural, it's all good, it's, it's all rainwater. 40 sa'ah, I'm not sure how much that is in, 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 in gallons, of rainwater. After that mikvah is there, there's an opening, there's an opening. And then they fill a second mikvah, then they fill the regular body of water, and that is regular filtered water, and the two bodies of water are touching each other, kissing each other, literally, that's the halachic term, they're kissing each other. And since the waters are directly in touch with each other, the filtered water you're in is nullified to the pre-existing kosher mikvah, and therefore it's fine. But in order, in order for the mikvah to be kosher, it has to first be a kosher mikvah. Has the first have 40 of kosher water. Then you add next to it the filtered water is being added to the kosher mikvah, it's being touching the kosher mikvah, so it's fine. If you were to have the filtered water first and then try and add 40 of rainwater, you could add 100 of rainwater, it would never become a kosher mikvah. Has to be, I'm going a little off subject now, I'm getting too technical. But the point is, it has to be a natural mikvah, and then you can touch to that other water that's still connected to the living water, to the, to the natural kosher mikvah, and that's fine. The point is, these are many, many laws, it's all the decree of Hashem, you go to the mikvah, you become purified, and you remove the, 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 the seminal emission from the man. So let's just do the man's quickly, and then the woman, which is going to be more the way it is in the Torah and the way it is today, I'll talk about tomorrow, what are the laws for the man? So if he has a regular seminal discharge, he should go to the mikvah, and he's pure. If he has a non-seminal emission only one time, only one time, it was a one-time thing, just whatever, same thing. Go to the mikvah one time and pure. You're not yet considered a zav, which would be a status of tuma, of ritual impurity that can convey tuma, etc. However, if the person has, if the person has this, uh, this flowing of his discharge, either in a way more than once within seven days, either it flows or this discharge blocks his body, comes like a blockage from this stuff that's there, this non-seminal discharge in that area of his body. In that case, he becomes Tomei. He is a, he is a Zov. Not only is he Tomei, anything he touches becomes ritually impure. Anything that he sits upon 
becomes uh, tame, becomes ritually impure. Any clothing he's wearing becomes ritually impure. Not only that, the clo- if he's sitting on a chair, or on a bench, would be a better example, and you sit on the same bench as him, you now become ritually impure from his ritual impurity on that bench. That's the power that he has. So anyone who touches or sits on the, that which a man is sitting on, they, now they don't become a zav. So let's say Chaim is sitting on the, on the table, on the bench. Okay? He is now a zav for seven days. At the end of seven days, he's going to bring the two offerings, the two birds, and they'll go to the mikvah. I now sit on the same bench as him. I now have a regular tumah. I need to go to the mikvah and then become purified after that. So one of the reasons why in Yerushalayim, you go to the old thing, or to the Temple Mount, area, you see many, many mikvahs, because people just go to the mikvah every time they came to the temple, because you don't know, maybe you sat on the same, you touched someone that was a, a zav and you didn't know about it. Or you uh, carry the, you know, you sat on the same bench as them. Um, any food that the person touches, any liquid that the man spits, the man spits and that spit comes onto you, that spit, that saliva of the person will make you ritually impure. Again, you don't become a zav, but you got to go to the mikvah, you become ritually impure, etc. Now, this person, um, he has to go to, let me just skip a little bit over here, any vessels, this was very, very quickly, any vessels he touches need to go to the mikvah. If it's an earthenware vessel, as we already described, an earthenware vessel can't be purified in the mikvah, it has to be broken. And then the point is, when the man finishes his discharge, so now he, let's say three days, four days, whatever it was, and now he sees that he's clean, he counts for himself seven clean days. Seven days by which he has no seminal, non-seminal emissions coming out of his reproductive organ. If, let's say on day number four, he again has another emission, he gets to wait till he stops, till he's clean, and he starts counting a new seven days. So it's not seven collective days, it's seven consecutive days. And if on day number six, so day number seven even, he sees that he's, once again, this started up again, he has to wait till he's clean. And he counts what's called Shiva Simenikim, seven days of purity, seven days he's clean. And then on the eighth day, after the seven days of purity, he brings two turtle doves with him to the base of Mikdash, to the entrance of the temple, or two pigeons. One is a sin offering, one is an ascent offering, and then the coin will affect with a sprinkle of blood, a ritual of purity for him. He goes to the mikvah and he is considered ritually pure. Okay, tomorrow do the woman, God willing.